speak. Now, uh, and again, uh, we'll just put that up there for those watching on the internet as well. We love to appeal God's word one passage at a time, which we're going to do shortly. But I had to put this guy back, or this young lady back up there because she's just so pretty. It's a red heifer. We talked about uh, the red heifers a little bit last week. And like, why is that important? And if you can see down at the bottom, uh, it's probably hard to read from back, but it says the Temple Institute. So this is important uh, prophetic things that are basically on the forefront right now. The Jewish people have been looking for nearly 2,000 years for a perfect red heifer uh, basically to sacrifice, and then they take the ashes and keep them to cleanse, if you will, the priests and what will be the third temple, which, of course, uh, has not been built yet. So the interesting thing about that, I knew some folks will be here that weren't here last week. Uh, five red heifers got sent to Israel from Texas, of all places. And uh, some people have said, well, wait a minute, doesn't a red heifer have to be born in Israel? And uh, I don't know that anyone could prove that biblically. It may be somewhere stuck in the Talmud or the Mishnah, but the Jewish people, the Orthodox people, uh, Jews are so... Man, it's like we got to find a red heifer. So they're, of course, if these heifers happen to turn out to match the biblical look, which means no flaws, never been sat on, never done any work, uh, and so forth, they will indeed butcher one of these, sacrifice it, and use the ashes. The reason that's important to me and you is everything we look at from a prophetic standpoint is drawing us closer potentially to when the rapture is going to take place, the next major event on God's prophetic calendar, which is uh, when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds in the air, not down to the earth, but in the air to take one generation of Christians home dead and alive. And of course, uh, Christians for 2,000 years have been hoping uh, they're that group, and it still hasn't happened. So the only thing that this adds to our scenario is, wow, you know, if indeed this is setting the stage for the third temple and the, and the heifer is going to be used for that, we just keep looking up, as Jimmy DeYoung said, until. Until what? Until Christ comes. So we shall see. Uh, based on everything happening around the world and right here in America, there's so many things that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to come true. It's, it's just amazing. I uh, just finished yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, I wrote a book on globalism. Uh, it should be coming out in December. It's being unveiled in December in uh, Dallas. And it deals with just, and I, I wrote on about half of the subjects I wanted to write on. It's 200 plus pages, and it's like I had to stop so I'm going to do a volume two coming out. But all the many different things that are taking place right now, it's just amazing. We've got, we got to be going up soon, folks. It's just, just, wow. All right, let's go to the next one here. Who's that? Everybody knows who uh, the center figure is there, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, former prime minister of... Oh, I... It's... I guess I should move the right slide here. Sorry, Ben. That's better. Actually, I thought the other one looked a lot nicer, but anyway. I love, I love nice-looking animals. Anyway, I won't get off on a tangent. 
as hard as it is. All right, so anyway, you know who that is, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, they had the uh, Israeli elections again and again and again, and they've had a real problem. Now, just very quickly, and again, this is not a biblical issue, but it is a very important issue because Israel stands as one of the forefronts of uh, what's going to happen in the future in God's prophetic calendar. So we keep a very, very close eye on Israel. And again, uh, uh, some of this is repetition, but every time I see new folks, I, I throw out some things that are important. If I ask you, and most of you can answer this question, where is the center of God's, God's universe? It's Israel. And we find that in what book and passage? Come on. Hey, touchdown. All right, Ezekiel 5.5, 5, where God says, all the nations surround Jerusalem. It is the center of God's universe. So if you want to know what's happening in God's calendar, take a look at Israel. You're probably going to get a pretty good clue. All right, so anyway, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is basically more the right than the left wing, if you will. Uh, it looks like on the exit polls that he's probably going to get back in. But here's the issue. It's not like in America where if you get uh, win an election, all of a sudden you're the boss. Uh, of course, around here that's debatable too. But uh, anyway, there it's much more debatable. So they, have, they don't have like a Senate and a Congress. They have what's called the Knesset, which is their big parliament, if you will. It consists of 120 different members. Now, those members are all over the board from ultra-conservative with the ascetic Jewish people down to the ultra-radicals on the other end. You have uh, Arabs, Palestinians, Muslims, Jews, uh, those that have no religious affiliation uh, won those 120 seats. Now, the issue is, in order for... Benjamin Netanyahu, and here's the problem that's been going on in Israel. You've got to have a 61-seat majority. In other words, there has to be 61 people in the Knesset that subscribe to Benjamin not Netanyahu as being the boss. If you don't get that 61-seat majority, there's no government. So it's, it's a lot different than the politics that takes place here, a lot more wheeling and dealing that goes on uh, mainly, of course, in our country, it's pretty much between the Democrats and Republicans. A few miscellaneous thrown in there, but uh, it doesn't affect who technically is leading the country. All right, so that's up there. Uh, very interesting, and we'll see what happens. Number three came out uh, today. Uh, and again, I go to the secular media, even though I don't always trust what they say. Certain things are undeniable, and... Uh, something like this, of course, is we can take as fact because we know it's fact. And uh, this came out from CNN today among many other uh, mainstream media outlets. If I keep putting the wrong screen up. There we go. Uh, which states, bedeviled by high inflation, Federal, Re Federal Reserve hikes interest rate by 0.75% again. So here's kind of uh, what does that mean to you if you're a consumer? Uh, specifically if you're taking out a loan. Let's say you want to buy a, a car or you want to buy a home. About two point whatever years ago, the interest rate on a home was about 2.5%. 
Right now, that rate is going to be somewhere between 7 and 8%. Maybe you get, I saw 6.95 yesterday, but now it's hiking up again. So, in other words, if you're going to buy a home and you really can't afford anything more than paying the basic payment, which means you're paying what? You're paying interest rate and not making a whole lot of progress on uh, the principal or what you actually owe for the home. You're paying more to borrow the money than you are for the home. So, it, and that's going up. And we'll see, I don't want to get too deep into it. Same thing with cars. Um, I mean, you could get, and I know how this works because I used to believe it or not, I actually was in the car business for a while, but um, that was before the sheriff's office and what I'm doing now and all that. But it was when I was trying to not starve to death. But anyway, in the car business, they got this thing where you get free interest rates or you get a $2,000 deduction. It's either free interest or it's not free interest. In other words, you want a $2,000 deduction off your car, $2,000 and pay. If you want to do the interest thing, interest-free, you pay $2,000 more for the car because you're really paying for it. Make sense? All right. Bottom line is everything's going to cost more, and that's exactly what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. Here's a quick thing. The rate hike is the sixth consecutive one this year for the Feds, a cycle not seen since the inflation-fighting days of the early 1980s. The central bank has been bedeviled by stubbornly high inflation readings, even as other factors that have been influencing price increases, like higher gas and energy prices, uh, have cooled off. All right, there it is. Sorry, I forgot to turn it again. So here's here's the deal. Why does this have a meaning to us? Why do we care? Outside of that, everybody that comes to the church, you got less money than you had yesterday, so to speak. Well, here's the issue. I'm not looking at it from how it literally is affecting your pocketbook and mine. This, again, points to what is going to be part of the globalist picture. You say, how's that? What is the purpose prophetically? Not thinking about the government's purpose right now. What is going to happen in Scripture? Well, when you look at Revelation chapter 6, specifically the seal judgments, what's going to take place? Seal 1, the world ruler comes on the scene. Well, why are we going to need a world ruler? We sure don't need one to, well, maybe we do. Anyway, uh, we sure don't subscribe to a world ruler today, even though America, along with many other countries, are on a globalist agenda. Again, and I just got through writing all this stuff for a year, so it's kind of fresh. So, But here's the key thing. Have you ever heard of the World Health Organization, WHO? Right? You've heard of it. What do you mean, World Health Organization? That's world. That's global. Okay? Why does that matter to us? Big time. What about the uh, economic or the World Economic Forum, WEF? You ever heard of that one? Okay. Why does that matter to us? Because everything is being set up to get to what Revelation describes as the one world government, one world economy, and one world religion. Uh, again, you read Revelation 13, it just spells it out point by point by point. And uh, I'm not going to go through all that because we've been there, done that many times. All right, so looking at things from a prophetic perspective, from a biblical perspective, 
all these things are falling into place that basically are going to set the stage eventually for that globalist one world ruler to get his place. You go to the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab's website. You go to the World Health Organization. Both of those are trying to set the stage, and they put it right out there. They're not shy about it. How are we going to set up the one world global system? It's there. So it's not science fiction anymore. It's not, well, will this happen? It's like uh, preachers maybe hundreds of years ago would have been looked at as, as saying what I'm saying right now is, Oh, yeah, you're speculating, you're kind of goofy, and, you know, just dismiss. Folks, it's not something that we're speculating about anymore. We're watching it happen before our eyes. So it's very interesting. So uh, seal, and I'll get through this quick. Seal 1, Antichrist has to come on the scene. Something's going to blow up after the rapture of the church that's going to mandate that a world dictator come on the scene. The Antichrist will step in and take that position. What happens next? Well, seal number two, tremendous violence is going to take place. We're seeing that all over the country, all over the world. Tremendous violence is taking place. The murder rates are off the charts in our urban areas. And you think this is bad? Excuse the grammar. You ain't seen nothing yet compared to what's coming. It's coming. Number three, uh, 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 the tremendous famine, the black horse, if you will. Tremendous famine. No food, no famine. I'm not sure if she's in here right now or working in Iwana. Patty, are you in here? There you are. Uh, Patty just told me today, a few minutes ago actually, and I didn't even know this one. Imagine that. I didn't know something. And <laughs> that's constant. But anyway, uh, uh, she's like, you know where they're only bringing half the amount of grain uh, down south due to uh, the Mississippi River basically being alone. They can't get food down, and it's like, all the man, many things that are taking place and the shortage of food, and uh, sorry, I'm going to go a few more minutes on this. Who's buying up all the farmland in America right now? China's buying up our farmland. Why? So they can control the pro. Uh, uh, Ukraine, massive 20% of uh, basically the Middle East and other parts down in that area, 20% of the grain comes from Ukraine. If you go on the news right now, and you can Google it after my class, uh, if, you, if you go on the Internet right now and you, and you Google what's happening with Ukraine grain, you'll find out that it's being hijacked over and over and over again and being taken to countries on the black market. All of a sudden, there's going to be massive famine in certain parts of the world because they're not getting the grain that they should get. Why do you care about all this? Because Revelation 6 says, after the rapture, Antichrist comes on the scene, horrible violence is on the scene, tremendous famine is on the scene. Folks, if you can't grow your crops in America because China shut the land down, is that potentially going to be a problem? Yeah, I mean, and all these things are just setting the stage for what God said will happen. So, uh, just to... Some people said, boy, you know, I, I wish you'd talk more prophecy stuff on Wednesday and Sunday and Saturday. And Do you know that we have, we're on VCY three times a week, four times a week now. So I have a TV program. It's actually once a week it comes out. It's the same program three times a week. If you go to VCY TV, TV 30, uh, 
uh, actually it's me and Josh Steele now, um, John Fallahy, who many of you saw on the program, moved up to Green Bay, he's doing a church plant there, so Josh is my new co-host, but uh, once a week we're on uh, three times a week, same program, uh, VCY TV, uh, Saturday night, not the best time in the world, but Saturday night at 9, 8, 9 p.m., I have a new show called Prophecy Unfolding, so we're on that every single week now, Saturday at 9 p.m., so if you're not getting your prophecy fix, uh, plenty out there. Uh, next week, if you uh, tie into Community Bible Church in, ah, starts with an M, I'll send it to you. Uh, can't think of it. But anyway, they're going to have nine messages on prophecy that we'll be doing there. So anyway, all good. Thanks for being here. Hopefully that at least if you didn't know these things or if you did, just kind of reinforced it a little bit. All right, so are you ready to fly? Yeah. All right, Acts chapter 4. Not a whole lot of super-duper heavy doctrine in this one like we've been having. Uh, some of the things we've been going through are very heavy doctrinally very heavy uh, uh, on, if you will, the dispensational aspects of what's happening in Acts. So again, keep in mind what's taking place in Acts. We're going from a 100% Jewish system in Acts chapter 1 to something totally different than the Jewish people as well as uh, uh, what we'll call uh, the folks that lived in Samaria, which were half Jewish, half Gentile, and all of a sudden his brand new heavy-duty system is being put into place known as Christianity, which is not Judaism on any, on any stretch of the imagination. It has radical differences. All right, now, the easiest way to understand that is when you look at the, and let's just divide it into two sections to make it easy to start. The first 39 books of your Bible are called what? The what? I hear some kid yelling downstairs. What is the first 39 books called? The Old Testament. It's simple. You all know that. The last 27 books are called what? The New Testament. All right, so that's simple. If you look at the Old Testament, it's all about the Jewish system, Jewish life, Jewish laws. Everything's Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. And uh, again, we go back to how many commandments were there in the Old Testament? 613 commandments that the Jewish people were supposed to follow. And of course they couldn't. It was The law was a tutor to lead them to Christ. Now we go and of course Jesus comes on the scene. He starts to unveil what he's going to be doing. And everything now turns, even though the, of course was the, uh, was the coming of Christ prophesied in the Old Testament. Absolutely it was. All right? Multiple passages talk about the coming of Christ. Some of the most familiar, of course, are Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, about the coming of Christ. Did he come? Absolutely. And now all of a sudden we are going, he's starting to teach the people, open up different things that they'd never seen before because it had never been revealed before, and Christ starts to do that. Well, after his death, burial, and resurrection takes place in the end of the Gospels and then the first chapter of Acts, all of a sudden, things begin to radically change, all right? What's the radical change? We went through Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, uh, basically, Jesus said in John, basically, the 
16 that the Holy Spirit would come down upon them and endue them for ministry. Acts chapter 2, it's exactly what takes place. We go back to, and maybe you want to turn to it, just so you know what I'm saying. I've done a lot of just ad-lib stuff here without going to the Scriptures because of time. But if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, there is God's progression of the gospel. Where did he say to go first? Where's first? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I like being yelled at. It's okay. Uh, Jerusalem. All right? So he said, listen, where were the disciples when Jesus was resurrected? In what place? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. All right? So immediately what takes place? They're endued with power. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in what? Uh, uh, There you go. They begin to speak in known languages because the people from all over the known world were they in Jerusalem. The Jewish people from all over the world were there. Why? Because it was the Feast of Pentecost, three, one of the three pilgrims' feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. They had to be there. All right? So these people from all over the known world are there. The Holy Spirit comes down upon the disciples. They begin to speak in known languages, even though the word in the English is tongues. It's known languages. It's described right there. They're preaching the gospel. Why? Because these people have never heard it before. They've heard about certain pieces of it, but now it's going to be made very, very plain to them. All right, so we have the beginning stages where God is reaching specifically to what group of people in the beginning part? The Jews. And Acts 1.8 says, after you go to Jerusalem, then where do you go? Judea. Judea. All right, Judea, of course, is the region and Jerusalem is the center of that region. So he's like, okay, guys, get out of Jerusalem, start spreading the gospel into the region of Judea. Then what's the next place he said to go to? Samaria. Samaria. I don't know, is it cut out when I do that? All right, Um, I'll try not to do that. Because anyway, so we have three major regions, and if I go over here, maybe I won't knock my voice out. Three major regions, the lower one or the southern region being Judea, the middle section being Samaria, and the upper region, Galilee. Galilee. Go out of Judea and go to next Samaria. That's exactly what they did. They went to the Samaritans. You see it as Acts progresses. Acts chapter 9, all of a sudden something changes, and they go to the next section. God uh, calls the apostle Paul, and he specifically called to reach what group of people? Gentiles. Well, uh, uh, they, the next part is go to the uttermost parts of the world. Gospel starts going out. Mission starts taking place. Paul goes on a bunch of missionary journeys, three to be uh, more precise. Ends up in Rome, and the gospel's being spread all over the known world. All right, so that's kind of the 30,000-foot picture. Acts 4.1. Now as they spoke, speaking of the disciples to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple. I'm going to close this because I keep going to the wrong one. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. All right, so we have Jewish people there. Who are we talking about? Again, we're in Jerusalem. They're talking to the religious leaders that are Jews. The people. Well, it's filled with uh, Jewish people. The priests the captain of the temple, uh, temple being, is that the temple, is that Gentile or Jewish? It's Jewish. And the Sadducees, 
Who's the opposing group to the Sadducees? Pharisees. Pharisees. Well, you know why they were sad? They were sad, you see. <laughs> because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Mm. That was key. So you got this one group of Sadducees. That's how I remembered it when I was growing up. They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And uh, the Pharisees, did they believe in the resurrection? Uh, yes, they did. So now you have two major religious groups that are opposing one another. And one of the key issues was the resurrection. So if Paul or others are pe preaching or the disciples are preaching the resurrection, what do you think the Jewish Sadducees are thinking about all that? <laughs> They're not happy. All right, so let's see what happens. Verse 2, being greatly disturbed... They, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in custody. And you know, wait a minute. What is the government that's in charge of these people at this time? Rome. Is it the Roman Catholic Church? Is it a Roman church? Or is, it, or is Rome strictly looking at this from a military or government perspective? The latter. Romans not, I mean, even though they had emperor worship and all that, this wasn't that issue at this point. So we have the Jewish religious leaders who had superpower. These people called a lot of the shots. They had the authority to arrest people. I mean, it, it's tough stuff, all right? So they laid hands on them. This is the Jewish authority. It's not the Roman government. It's the Jewish leadership. They put him in prison. Uh, have you ever heard of the Antonio Fortress, which is on the Temple Mount? Oh, good? Okay. Um, we're good. Uh, okay, so the Jewish leaders basically say, listen, guys, you're talking about Jesus basically uh, pumped up by the Sadducees, and they take them, and they're going to put them in prison. Verse 4, however, many of those who heard the word believed. Oh, wow. So uh, we have folks, Jewish people specifically, they're hearing the gospel, and instead of getting upset and mad and contradictory to it, what do they do? Huh. Right, they believe. So we have folks coming to Christ during this time, which is wonderful. All right, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000 converts. Folks, we have a hallelujah fit here when three people come forward to trust Christ. Right? I mean, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I mean, we were. it was wonderful. We had the baptisms last Sunday. Four folks got baptized, shared their testimonies. I mean, that's like super. Now, these guys kind of outshine us here here. 5,000 people came to Christ through their teaching and preaching. It's like, whoa, that's, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. And, and verse 6, well, verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Anus the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. By the way, we have no clue who this John and Alexander are. And as many as were of the family of the high priest. It's all in the family were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, listen, guys, by what power or by what name have you done this? Doing. They were referring to the Lord. Keep 
then now. Can you hear me now? It's, I'm doing a cell phone. Let's try this. Put this guy. How's that? All right, let's try that, see if that'll work. All right, so when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, now what's the next section say? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I want to draw our attention to this because this is extremely important. One of the things that Scripture has caused, and I, and I guess because everybody tries to look at, when they're a Christian, at the entire Bible from a myop, myopic set of church-age dispensational eyes, which don't always match up with what the Scriptures are stating. When I ask you this question, and don't answer quickly, I want you to think about it. If I asked you the question, hey, Astrid, good to see you. When I asked you this question, are you, here's the operative word, don't answer yet, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Filled. Completely controlled. Absolutely controlled. That's the concept of filled. When you talk about a glass being half full, we understand what that means. When Bible's talking about somebody being literally filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a very, very strong, important theological statement. Now, we're going to turn to it in, uh, in a couple of slides here. We're going to get to Ephesians chapter 5, where God mandates for God's people that they be filled with the Spirit, implying, not only implying, stating that if you're not controlled by the Spirit, you ought to be. These individuals were completely filled with the Holy Spirit. What did that mean? What went along specifically, and now we're talking not only a Christian, but a disciple, an apostle, Peter, who was literally filled with the Holy Spirit. Did that enable Peter to say things that were literally given to him by the Lord? It did. Did it give Peter the ability to do miracles and I'll just leave it at that word. Did it allow him to do miraculous things? Yes. Absolutely it did. When, these, when the, the, despi, the despi, disciples and the apostles were filled with the Spirit, they can do what they did in Acts chapter 3, which we're going to look at next. Then Peter, now we're, we're going back a chapter, what in the world took place that got the Sadducees and the others so upset that they arrest him. Peter said, he's, he's, he's outside the temple. He sees this poor crippled guy. And uh, the poor guy comes up to him. He's begging, trying to get some money because, of course, people that were crippled, they had a really tough time making money. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They're like, listen, we're, we don't have a whole lot of money. In fact, we don't have any money. But I can see you're lame. I can see you're hurting. And uh, Jesus of Nazareth, in his name, his power, you can be healed right now. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 7, chapter 3 of Acts, And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Folks, I, I, I try not to get in trouble, but I do all the time. I, it just comes naturally. 
When I talk about the charismatic gifts, specifically those from 1 Corinthians 13, and we're talking about a gift of healing. This was the gift of healing. That's the biblical gift. Peter walks in, says, hey, brother, yep, you're lame. You want to walk? Yep. Done. Done. Wasn't a matter of having an eight-hour prayer meeting. It wasn't a matter of going to the hospital and fasting and praying for 12 days, 14 days, 100 years, and the person still passes away without being healed. Peter had the gift of healing. Walks in, says, in the name of Jesus, bam, done. That was the gift of healing. Now, I know we have at least one doctor in the room, and uh, I can guarantee you that any person that's a Christian and that's in the medical field, if they could walk in and say, boy, be healed, now, first of all, I'll put them out of business. I wouldn't make a whole lot of money that way. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it, folks, it's just a matter of the way it is. Do we pray for people to be healed, by the way? Is it a right thing to do? Is it a godly thing to do? Absolutely. Because now, if you will, under the, let's just call it, uh, the dispensation of grace, instead of having the, these individuals that have the gift of healing, we do what we did for Bev Bose and others. We pray, we beg God, and like, Lord, would you please, would you save her life? Would you preserve her? And uh, did God, at least it appears he's going to heal Bev. Is that a good thing? Is it a godly thing? Did we do it? Uh-uh. You see, if I had the gift of healing, I would have walked into Bev's room as I did a couple of days ago. I would have put my hand on her and said, rise up, let's go home. I, unfortunately, I don't have the gift of healing. So keep that in mind. When we're talking about someone that was filled with the Spirit, it means literally they are filled with the Spirit. Okay? Keep that in mind. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. That got the, uh, Peter in big trouble. Big trouble. Acts, go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, just thought he'd throw that in there, whom God raised from the dead Sadducees, by him, Jesus, this man stands here before you whole. Wow. Folks, at times, people will debate, reject some things that teachers, pastors, preachers say, and it's like, okay, that, uh, um, and that, that can be a good thing. It's like, you said X, can you prove it? Can you ch and that's the big thing about pastoring and teaching. If we don't get a little bit deeper into the Word and I just make open statements without backing it up, you got a right to say, hey, where'd you get that from? And I agree with that. You, you should know. Here we have, they're accusing Peter of doing something basically ungodly. And Peter basically kind of puts the rubber on the road and says, listen, you guys killed Jesus, didn't you? But guess what? God raised him from the dead. And he makes a statement here. God raises him from the dead. By whom this man stands here before you whole. They're making a statement. This is a doctrinal statement. It's a, uh, a statement to those that have basically taken away his uh, official position as a, a, a one that is spirit-filled and serving God. 
And now he goes to verse 11. And this is a verse that we'll go to. It's uh, found in the Psalms. And he's like, okay, I'm going to quote some scripture here. Pharisees, Sadducees, elders, rulers, Jewish people. This Jesus, whom he's talking about here, is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Ooh, smack. Who's the builders here? It's these Jewish people that he's basically tuning up. You rejected him. Not only that, but you killed him. Is that pretty harsh? That's kind of like in your face. Now, those of you that like in your face, you should really enjoy this passage. Uh, it's good. I mean, damn, he's, he just puts the rubber on the road. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become what? The chief cornerstone. Yeah, you got the, the little stone, if you will. You, you throw it into the concrete mix, and you stir it up, and you throw it into the building. He's like, that's not the kind of stone we're talking about here. If you go outside our building, you'll see a, a cornerstone out there with the date on it when, the, when the, uh, this building was built and the addition was built. Long time ago, before my time here. I've only been here two and a half years. But what does it do? It's important. It marks something. It tells something. And they're like, you rejected the chief cornerstone. Where do we get that from? Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Who wrote the majority of Psalms? When did David live? About 1,000 B.C. Thousand years before Christ, this prophecy was given out. Prophecy. Oh, did I say prophecy? I'm sorry. Uh, prophecy. Acts chapter 4, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be what? Saved. Saved. All right. Uh, uh, we're a Christian church. We believe in Jesus Christ. And basically, that what this is documenting is exactly what we practice as believers. There isn't any other way to get to heaven. I love going, and we go here often, John 14, 6, absolutely documents this issue. How many ways are there? Well, let's see what Jesus had to say. Here's how many ways there are. I am what? The. How many these can you have in a sentence? I should say, how many of these would be referring to? When you say the, it's only referring to what? One. Now, if he would say, well, Jesus Christ is a way, would that change the dynamics? Of course it would, right? And it's not a way. It is the way. It is proprietary. It is very, very dogmatic. Again, and in Sunday school, uh, I think I kind of switched gears about a month ago, I was talking about secularism and pluralism and how that's being synchronized into the church. Now, not this church, but many churches across the country and the world are synchronizing Christian truth with secular ideas. That's the easiest way to put it. In other words, uh, let's just go to Genesis chapter 1. Why not start at the beginning? In the beginning, God created what? Heaven and the earth. Well, the secular people say, no, he didn't create anything. It happened out of what? Evolution. So then we come up with, uh, we don't come up with, certain theologians have come up with, well, you know, we got to take a little of both. Both can probably have some validity. So let's call it theistic evolution. In other words, that God did some of it, but the evolutionary process actually produced what has, what's in our midst today. 
Now, when you mix theology or God in the Bible with secular ideas, do you have a pluralism of ideas? Yes. Absolutely you do. Uh, you say, well, Brother Rich, uh, and, and, and you could all answer this, except I'm going to say the wrong verse. I messed up the last time I did this, and I don't want to do it again, so I'm going to turn to it. Now, how do we prove from the Scriptures that God created everything in a little literal seven days? You're like, well, Pastor, that should be easy. Just go to Genesis 1 and 2. It's not the best verse for that. While I'm turning for it, let's see who remembers it while I'm trying to find it. It's in Exodus. What's the verse or the chapter in the verse about God's creation? 20 what? Yeah, I know it's in 20. Let's see if that's the right one. See if you get the extra Starbucks award card tonight that for $5, you can get a $5 coffee. Exodus 2011. 2011, there we go. All right, you're close. Eh, close. Plus or minus a little bit. All right, let's read. Uh, I'm, I'll turn to it. I'll read it. You can turn if you choose. Uh, there we go. Mm, oh, I'm still in Genesis. No wonder it doesn't look right. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm wrong. All right, you got me. Exodus, oh, here we are. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 11. It's still in here. If I can, there it is. Okay, now we're, we're not talking Genesis. We're talking what book? Exodus. Exodus. The best place to find about creation and the length of it is not in Genesis, even though it's helpful, but it gives you the literal punchline in Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. In six days God made the heaven and the earth. No, the Big Bang Theory says God made something and then it morphed into something. Theistic evolution says, well, God made something and it morphed into something, which is where they, uh, uh, even some of our Christian friends who hold to that in my opinion, very suspect theology, that's how they get millions and billions of years. Well, the earth is billions of years old. Well, if you subscribe, oh, wow, just reminded me. Do you know who's coming to this church the middle two weeks of November? Jerry Fry. Jerry Fry, who several of you know. Jerry Fry is, and I'm not kidding, he is one of the smartest guys on earth. I mean, he just is off the charts, crazy smart, very personable, by the way, very friendly, very approachable. He's going to be here for two Sunday school hours in a row. We're going to do combined Sunday school class. Now, Jerry is a extremely good businessman as well, but he's one of the most knowledgeable people on earth when it comes to creation and creation events. Now, he also, and, and he warned me about this, he said, listen, he's very, very, very involved in uh, Answers in Genesis, but he's not on staff, but he's very good friends with Ken Ham. I'll just leave it at that. And he's like, Rich, you can't promote me as being part of Answers in Genesis, even though I think he is, but, uh, 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 but he's, he's that level. He's Ken Ham level and then some, and uh, he's going to be here. You, you just you don't want to miss it. This is something that the whole community should be here to hear. Uh, so two weeks in a row during the Sunday school hour, and it's going to be 1045 to 1145 those two weeks. 
you don't want to miss it. This will be a absolutely off the charts great presentation. And I know Jerry well, I love him. He's just excellent. All right, now I got off track. All right, so Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 13, Acts 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, wait a minute, boldness. That was the title of the message tonight, or the study. Preach Christ boldly. Now if you have an employer, or if you're younger, or well, they should all be downstairs. So if you have an employer, somebody that you really put a lot of stock into, and you're basically, let's just say, in a little bit more of a subordinate position to them, if that boss, if that mentor, if that person who technically has a little bit of oversight over you, if they say, man, you are the best employee, you're the best person I've ever had to work with here. You are really something. I mean, I just love you. You're so good. I'm so glad you're here. You are absolutely the best. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, if you're totally supported by a person who, if you will, has some authority over you, how are you going to feel? I'm feeling pretty good about that. Peter and John were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're feeling pretty good. And they ought to feel pretty good because God is literally the one pumping them up. I mean, this they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not worried about it. They're not concerned if they're going to go to jail. They're not concerned about the repercussions of preaching. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, woo, let's go. That's how they're feeling. And, and when they saw, they were bold. Wait a minute. Bold? Peter? Peter? Let's think back about Peter for a minute. Now you're like, wow, Peter's always impetuous, always getting in trouble. How was Peter at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane? How do, you, how do you fare there? You say, oh, I remember Peter. He pulled out his little sword and boom, he chopped off the uh, servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus came back and healed him. What did Peter do after that? When they take Jesus away, what did Peter do? He ran. He hid. How many times did he deny Christ? The boldest of Peter? Wait a second. This guy, is a, he betrayed Jesus. He did not. He didn't really betray him. He just plain out denied him. And now all of a sudden, Peter shows up and he is ready to roll. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came down upon him and Peter, <laughs> he was no longer, boy, I'm afraid they might kill me or put me in. He's like, throw me in prison. Do whatever you got to do. I'm preaching Jesus. Why? Because the boldness was there. The Holy Spirit gave it to him. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Like, these guys are fishermen. Where in the world are they getting all this knowledge from? How are they getting this boldness? How do they know who this Jesus is? Well, first of all, they walked and talked with him for multiple years, and now the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. They are ready to roll. All right? And that's exactly what happens. Verse 14. And seeing the man, here it is, who had been healed. Here's that cripple. Peter walks up and says, I don't have any money, but I'll heal you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he does. 
And the guy's standing there now. Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I mean, this guy had to be obviously crippled. I mean, his legs had to be twisted around, couldn't walk. I mean, it was the people, they knew it. It's like when they saw this guy up and walking around, they're like, wow, this is indeed a miracle. You know, it wasn't like the guy had ambidexter or uh, whatever you call able to twist himself around like some of these people do today with double joints and all that stuff. No, this guy was messed up, and now he's whole. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with him, they could say nothing against it. It's proven. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, what's the council? Sanhedrin council. This was the big boys. This was the big religious leaders, the Sanhedrin council. So they had ultimate authority, if you will, among the Jewish people. So they they commanded them to go outside of the council, and they said, listen, guys, we, we got a problem here. This Peter is messing us up. He's preaching about this guy named Jesus, and we got to shut them down. Ooh. Ooh. Sound like what happened during, I don't want to say COVID, but I will anyway. Tried the government, said, shut the churches. Shut them down. They tried to shut some down for long, long periods of time. Well, thank God, and I mean this sincerely, that in Racine County, Sheriff Schmaling, whether you like him or not, I like him. And you say, well, why? Well, first of all, when I was sheriff in Milwaukee County, we were friends. So that's, friendship goes a long way with me, but it's more than that. Sheriff Schmaling said, you guys want to meet? Knock yourself out. Don't break the laws, but you can go, you can meet outside, you can set up your lawn chairs, you can meet in cars. It's all good. And he backed us up. Okay? So, uh, but when they conferred among themselves of the council, they said, listen, get out of here. We need to have a little chit-chat. Let's talk about the little chit-chat when they conferred among themselves. Now, we're talking unsaved individuals. You say, well, wait a minute. They were Jewish leaders. They were Jewish leaders, but they were not saved. They were not Christians. They didn't believe in Jesus Christ, which means they were living off of secular pagan wisdom at this point. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. I know it is, but it's, I'm pressing the point. These individuals did not understand who Jesus Christ was, and they're fighting them, all right? Let's just go here and get real practical for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Oh, folks, these uh, religious leaders, it was foolishness, foolish wisdom. And... Is there a lot of that going around the world today? There's a lot of it going around the world today. Is there a lot of it going around in so-called Christian churches? And I use the word with probably a small c. Absolutely. Verse 21, for sense and wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The message preached. Now, it doesn't have to mean it's inside of a church with a pastor and all that. It's the message getting out there. Folks, most of you, the great majority of folks that I know here that when you trusted Christ, there's some for sure that got saved when a pastor preacher was 
was speaking and the Holy Spirit moved you then, but many, many of you got saved from a tract, from a, a mom or a dad or a loved one that led you to Jesus Christ. But it's the foolishness of preaching. And by the way, can you be a preacher? Do you have to be ordained to preach? No. It's sharing. It's getting the gospel out there. Every one of you, boy, every one of you is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty. Listen, folks, know you not that we are what ambassadors, preachers, deliverers of God's message. So never think that you got to stand up here in order to talk about Jesus. No, I just get the privilege of talking to a whole bunch of people at once. Every time you run into an individual that needs Christ, you need to preach the gospel. You say, "What well, I have to pound pound on the table like you do?" So no, you're not pound on the table. Speak the truth in what? Love. Love. Gently, kindly, just talk. All right, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe, save from sin, save from, the, save from the penalty of sin. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we what? We preach Christ crucified. It's a good, I'm sorry, uh, I'm I know not everybody's a Southern Gospel music fan like I am, but uh, there's a, a song out there called uh, uh, Just Preach Jesus, Just Preach Jesus, Born and Crucified, Risen from the Grave, Just Preach Jesus, and the sacrifice, and it goes on, I don't know all the words, but I mean, I, I, I love stuff like that. It's like when I'm walking and I do my walk every day, or most days when I'm not overly busy, and uh, Larry's trying not to run into me on the street because he drives down the road I walk and uh, I'm having a good time and I'm not paying attention. And uh, it's like I play music like, listen, listen, preacher, just preach Jesus, born and crucified, risen from... Uh, you can't go wrong with that, can you? I don't think so. All right, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, oh, he's saying, listen, Jews and Gentiles, can they both trust Christ? Can Jews and Gentiles both come to Jesus today? Absolutely. Um, we have Jewish folks that have come to Christ, Gentile folks that have come to Christ, and mixtures that have come to Christ. You say, oh, we have a Samaritan in the group. Yeah, my wife happens to be one. You say, what? Does it matter if you're, does it matter in today's economy if, uh, economy, that's a bad word. It basically means in God's way of doing business today, the Jews and Gentiles intermarry. Well, obviously, because my wife has got Jewish blood in her, and she's a mostly Gentile. So somebody, obviously, from one or the other, got to, well, from both, got together somewhere in her genealogy, and she has some Jewish blood as well as Gentile blood. So and technically, does that matter in the church age? Not a drop, okay? Uh, it doesn't matter at all, because Bible makes it clear that Jew and Gentile are the same through Christ. If you're a Jewish person, trust Christ, are you saved? If you're a Gentile person, trust Christ, are you saved? And does God care if you're Jew or Gentile during the church age? He doesn't. All right, very good. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, Sanhedrin, Jewish council, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All right, let's get back to the text. Acts 4, 16, saying, what shall we do to these men, these Christians, for indeed a notable miracle 
Wow, a notable miracle, and you're still going to deny this and try and fight them. A notable miracle has been done through them. They're, they're not denying the miracle even happened. They're like, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to maintain our authority? To all who dwell in Jerusalem, we cannot deny it, but so that it spreads no further. we got to silence these Christians. we got to put them out of business. Folks, the government's been trying to do that in various places around the world for a whole long time. People in many places that we send missionaries to, they walk into those countries. We do not know if they're going to come home. Don't know. Because they hate them. It's illegal to preach Jesus in many parts of the world today. You get caught, you're either going to jail or uh, worse. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. Oh boy, there's a, there's a powerful punch. Let's get, I mean, we're going to really yell at them. We're really going to, man, if you do this, we are going to get, really? Huh? It is. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. We're going we're gonna to hold our authority over them. Verse 18. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You understand us. We got the authority. We're the bosses. You're not going to talk about Jesus anymore. Do you get that? Peter and John said, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, and said to them, listen, guys, can I say this and speak the truth in love? Not in the way I really like to tell you right now, but I'm going to speak the truth in love. And here's the answer. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you can judge that. But here's what we're going to do. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Just simple. God doesn't make a big deal out of it. They don't make any threats back. They're like, ah, we're going to pray God kills you people. They didn't do that. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're all messed up. He said, no, listen. You can reject. We've seen this. We heard this. And we're going to keep telling folks. Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, I mean they throw another fit on them. They threaten them some more. They let them go. Why? Finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorify God for what had been done. Folks, you talk about hardness of hearts. They see a miracle that comes from a miracle and they harden their hearts. Folks, we don't, we don't see the if you will, miracles like took place in the first century. And you share the gospel with somebody, and quite frankly, sometimes it's like, man, I'm just tired of doing this. I want to give up. I'm not going to tell anybody else the gospel. Nobody listens. Nobody cares. And all of a sudden, you've given out the gospel for the six millionth time, and the six millionth and one time you tell somebody the gospel and they say, I've been waiting to hear that all my life. I've been waiting for this. And they come to Jesus. Yeah, most folks are going to reject it. I wish they wouldn't. But all of a sudden it's that one that says yes to Jesus. And how do you feel when one says yes to Jesus? Woo! Praise the Lord. I mean, it's great, right? I mean, it's It's wonderful. Yes, people are going to reject Christ. Yes, the people who actually saw miracles rejected Christ. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop loving people. Don't ever stop giving the gospel. Because eventually, some of them are going to come to Christ. 
Acts 4.22, For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Well, here's the answer, because they've rejected him. It's just that simple. And they're praising God for who he is, and they're quoting uh, an Old Testament text again back from a uh, uh, thousand years ago when King David said it. Verse 26, The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Has anything changed in 2,000 years? Is it getting worse or better? Now, I, I made this statement uh, several months ago, and I sort of have to retract it and sort of have to keep it. There was a survey that came out, and I made it public here, that uh, uh, basically in this generation, the acceptance rate of who Jesus Christ is and those that are willing to call themselves Christians fell below 50% for the first time in the history of our nation. Well, Barna came out with a subsequent report to that, and his statistics stand at 62-63% of people still claim to be, at least in theory, in name, Christians. So the best I can say is, okay, one survey might have gone over a little bit, one went under a little bit, but bottom line is Christianity is definitely not on the increase. It's on a slow decline even here in America and he says, For uh, truly, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. I want you to notice the pronouns in verse 28. And yes, in this church, pronouns are still important. Did I say that? But they are. Who's he referring to? You'll notice and in the Greek text there are not capital letters. Just so you're aware, there are capital letters, but the, the original manuscripts were not written with uh, caps and small letters. It was all written in the same uh, low-level form. But it's very obvious what he's talking about. He said, listen, you folks, to do whatever your hand, he's talking about God now, your hand, your purpose, determined to be done. What did he say? He used the Gentiles. God used the people of Israel to do what? To accomplish his what? Can God use the pagan people to still accomplish his will? The answer is yes. God has always used the pagans to accomplish his will. Who is the master guy that's coming on the earth after we're gone? The Antichrist along with the false prophet, and of course, Satan himself. Are, and this sounds weird, but are they going to accomplish God's will on earth for those seven-year period? They are. I mean, it's being satanically led, but who's allowing them to do it? God. You, they, they will fulfill his will exactly as stated, even though they're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's amazing. God is sovereign, meaning he's going to get done what God needs to get done in his simple terms. Verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats. You see what you see what these secular guys are doing to us? They're threat. Can you believe that, Lord? They're threatening us. Grant to your service that servants that with all what? 
boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal he's not kidding here he's he's talking literal healing that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant jesus what are they saying lord uh the gifts that you've given if you will during the apostolic times and yes i'm defining it as apostolic times help us to get these gifts out help us to prove who you are help us to authenticate the message did that happen over and over and over and over again. All you got to do is keep reading through Acts. And when they had prayed, wow, the place where they assembled together was shaken. Wouldn't that be cool if we were praying, having a good old prayer meeting, and all of a sudden the whole building began to shake? Most of us would probably jump under the pew and say, oh boy, we're going to die. Now, this is a good thing. I mean, the Holy Spirit's coming down upon them. Uh, the whole place where they were assembled began to shake, and they were what? All filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, folks, uh, we're almost out of time. I've got to hasten through this. Uh, I'm going to skip Ephesians for a moment. Uh, but, 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 but I thought I had it on here. Uh, maybe I don't. I don't. All right. Just very plainly, Ephesians chapter 5 commands us to be what? To be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, so you to make a melody in your hearts to the Lord, and it keeps going on. What's he saying? Listen, uh, uh, can you speak boldly for Christ today? Can the Holy Spirit control you? Absolutely. Now, if you're, and please excuse the, the, the two-minute preaching message here. If you're living like the devil, if you're not serving God, if you go home and you're doing everything except what you should be doing, and I trust that's nobody here. You usually wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night. But if indeed you're caught in some type of sin and you're hindering the Holy Spirit from working through you, are you going to speak boldly for Christ? Man, you're not. You're just, you just not. All right? But if you're walking with God and you're praying and you're taking time with Him and the Holy Spirit has freedom to work through you, can the Holy Spirit work through you in the church age? Absolutely. Man, and it's exciting when it happens. On occasion, don't, I, I, I hope you've had this, to where you're really spending time with the Lord. Maybe you just had a good prayer time. Maybe you just had a good Bible time. And all of a sudden, you feel really led to do something, and it turns out that it's the right thing to do. I, I, I don't want to get spooky and mystical here, I'm just going to give you one instance, and it happened many years ago, so I'm, that's why I'm going to use it. So we're in a major evangelistic meeting um, when I was in college. Thousands of people were there. And, I, and I'm not trying to say I was the world's most spiritual guy, but man, I mean, I was just really walk. I believe I was walking with the Lord. All of a sudden, I, I'm like, I look up into the crowd above me. There are two people sitting up there. And I mean, I just, I really felt impressed that I'm supposed to go talk to them. I mean, I just, the only word I can use is impressed. It's not like God said, hey, Rich, go up there and talk to them too. Like Philip had in the Ethiopian. But I mean, it was just, it was just such an impression. And I'm like, all right. And it happened and happened. And it's like, as soon as they're done, I'll go up there. So as soon as it was done, I went up there, and in a matter of a few minutes, led both of them to the Lord. And it's like, I think it was the Holy Spirit knocking on my cranium. I can't prove it. But it's like, man, if you're walking with God, just sometimes things happen that 
And that's all I say. Verse uh, 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart one soul. Now here's a very interesting thing, and we'll close with this. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And that with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Here's something interesting that's going to take place now. All right, so every single one of us, and please listen carefully so I don't get misinterpreted and misquoted and cause a church split over what I'm about to say. During the early church, well, let me ask this question first. Everybody that walks through the doors of this church, do we say, listen, I, and, I, and for those that are going to misquote me on the Internet, don't do it. <laughs> I'll get you. For those that walk into this church, do we come in and make you sign a paper that you will sell your house, your cars, everything you have, we're all going to put it in one pool and combine it, and then we'll give to everybody as we see fit. We do not do that. In fact, I don't know what anybody in this church gives, and I'm going to maintain that position. I have no idea what you give. You're like, well, pastor, I give a lot of money. I wish you did know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know who gives a lot. I don't want to know who gives a little. I just don't want to know because I'm not here to figure out how much money you make or give. It's none of my business. I'm here to help lead a church in a spiritual way I trust. So, what's the issue? The early church people, they get together and basically they start having things in common. Now, is that a practice happening today? The answer is absolutely not. I know some churches that have attempted to use this to make it happen. We call that prosperity gospel. We call it ripping off God's people. But that's not what was happening in the first century. Nor was it socialism. Let's see what happens quickly. Verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. Wow. It's like, seriously? This really happened. Well, yeah, it really did happen in the early church. And people were filled with the Spirit. God gave them great boldness. And he also gave them the grace to do this very thing. What did they do? They took the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. By the way, here's how we distribute to folks who at least have, we don't have, can't fulfill massive needs, but moderate to small needs. What do we do every communion after we have communion? What do we take? Deacon offering. So usually somewhere between $800 and $1,000 comes in at every deacon's offering. What happens to that money? This. Find folks that the deacons do, or I may know someone that has a need, and uh, we put it out there. Not a single dime stays in the church. It goes to people in need. Now, that's a small, small concept of what happened here, but that's technically how our church at least tries to meet the need of those that are in uh, uh, having some needs. Verse 35, they laid them at the apostles' feet. They distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joses, whose also name was Barnabas. <laughs> I love Barnabas. Why? What's his name mean? He's an encourager. He's, he's the one, which we got many Barnabases in this church. And they'll, they'll write me an email or they'll write me a text or they'll send me a card and they say, Hey, Pastor, uh, we're praying for you. Love you. And uh, I, I get uh, excited every time I get something like that. And it's like, well, praise the Lord. I, I needed that. Do you need to get encouraged once in a while, folks? You don't? I think so. I think so. 
you know why I, you know I tell you, uh, not every Sunday, but many Sundays, you know why I tell you I love you? Because I do. Because I mean it. Because I want to encourage you when you're going through tough and harsh times. We do love you. We do care about you. And uh, uh, it says what? Uh, Barnabas was a son of encouragement. Interesting. He was a what? A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it. What do you mean he had land and sold it? He's a Levite. The law says Levites are not to have any land. How do we deal with this? Well, thank you for asking. We'll close with that. How could a Levite own property as Barnabas did? We're not Levites prohibited from owning property. Numbers 18, here's backs it up. The Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion, and your inheritance among the children of Israel. How did, Levi, how did um, a Barney here get some land? For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord. So they got a tenth of the goods that were brought to the temple, basically so they could eat, but they were not to have any land. Well, let's figure it out. Glad you asked. How could a Levite own property as Barnabas did? Here's the answer. Maybe that whereas, and here's even, it's not a strong dogmatic. It's like, well, here's probably what took place. Whereas the Levites were not to hold land in Israel, they could own land elsewhere. So if the land's outside Israel, free game. That's one possibility. Apparently Barnabas being from the island of what? Oh, yeah, he wasn't a native Israeli, so had potentially he had the land in Cyprus, which is what he sold. Or it is possible that his wife, Mrs. Barney, owned land in Israel. I think they had a, I think they had like a purple house or something. I don't know. I got it. Did I say that? Stop me. All right. That was just a little levity. Anybody know who Barney is? You have kids. You say, I'll let my kids watch that. Well, good for you, but I might have seen it a time or two. Anyway, it is also possible that his wife owned land in Israel and that they together sold it. Would that make sense? I mean, and that's the best the commentators can come up with. We don't know where he got the land from. Probably not from Israel. That we can pretty much agree on based on the law. But uh, if he had land in Cyprus or his wife had an inheritance, he sold it and did what? He gave it to uh, uh, basically the church community. Now, by the way, folks, does this say he gave it to the church? They sold their possessions, and all the folks had these things in common. So what does that mean? It means that they were so filled with the Holy Spirit, they were so in love with the Lord, they were so thrilled with what happened that they're like, listen, we want to take care of each other. All right, this is really my last closing. Do you remember anybody named Ananias and Sapphira? What did they do? They sold their land. Did they give it? Huh? They gave a portion of it, and they lied to whom? They lied to the Holy Spirit and, of course, to the religious uh, or to the Christian leaders. What did God do to them for lying? Ooh, kind of a severe penalty. He killed both of them for it. So here's the point. There were individuals that basically said, oh, yeah, we want the glory. We want the personal accolades about selling our property, and then everybody can know how generous we are. That's one of the reasons I don't want to know how generous you are, even though I appreciate it and the church appreciates it, and it's wonderful. By the way, did you see the new sign out front? It's kind of dark. It just got put in uh, uh, this afternoon. I want to make it very clear. You did not pay for that unless you were one of the three or four donors that put it out there. All right? You say, Ben, that's an expensive sign out there. It is an expensive sign. 
didn't come out of the church budget. That's a donation. Okay? So if anybody's saying, man, I can't believe they wasted all that money on that church. First of all, I hope it's not wasted. I think it's a great idea. Um, and it's going to have a marquee with all, it's going to look, I mean, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take on McDonald's sign. <laughs> right? Anyway, I like McDonald's. I like Burger King. I like everybody. But the, the point is, that was a donation. I, just, I forget how many, it was three, four different folks that I did know a little bit about because some folks told me, but it wasn't a, it, it was just people saying, hey, we got some extra money. Let's put a sign up. Let's get, let's come into the 21st century at Union Grove Baptist Church. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. I'm done. No more closings. Let's pray. Go get your kids. If you got kids, if not, socialize for five minutes. And uh, by the way, I'm, no, no, by the way. All right. I'll do the by the way next Wednesday. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these dear folks that are here tonight. Lord, it's so exciting of what you did during the first century church. So exciting about the miracles that were performed, the folks that came to Christ. 5,000 at one uh, time was, was uh, recorded in what we read tonight. Lord, that's so exciting. Father, we rejoice for every single soul that we see come to Christ. Lord, would you help us to be soul winners, meaning to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to tell others the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into this, into this world to save sinners. And then, Father, I pray that you'd help us to uh, walk with you during the week. Lord, we have so many opportunities. So many people are watching us, knowing that we've put our faith and trust in you. Father, would you help us to overcome what, if you will, the world wants to take away. Lord, help us to do the right thing, and we'll give you the praise, the honor, and glory. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you so much, folks. Have a great night.